0: hi
1: (laughs) okay so now we're talking about Craig
0: oh Craig
1: welcome to our podcast let's talk about dreams I'm Brandon Hogstead
0: and I'm Eleni
1: Mathieu for today's show we got to interview our friend Craig Sinclair he's a very witty and funny British guy (laughs) 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 he's very witty and he's very British (laughs) Wait, so Eleni, how do we know Craig?
0: So Craig and I met at an adult summer camp. It was not in the summer. It was in the autumn or fall, as you say, in America. And uh, a bunch of us rented out a summer camp location. It was not an adult summer camp in the erotic sense of the word adult. It literally was a bunch of adults at a a childhood summer camp.
1: Acting like children.
0: It was a bunch of adults (laughs) acting like children. Uh, I ran a hugging workshop. I facilitated a hugging workshop. And that's how we became friends.
1: Craig had some really interesting dreams that your are about to hear, and we ended up getting into some really interesting territory around archetypes, as well as gender roles and gender expectations, uh, and as well as just growing up in Britain. I hope you will enjoy listening to this as much as we enjoyed talking with him. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like dreams are a collection of imagery that our subconscious is trying to synthesize to make sense of what the fuck's going on in our life. If we have a table where we're putting together uh, a bunch of clothing, but we can't really see what's going on, maybe we can make sense by looking at the scraps on the cutting room floor. I don't know if that was a mixture of metaphors between movie editing and clothing making, but (laughs) essentially looking at the scraps that are on the floor, like the images that are floating in your subconscious we can start making sense of your greater life.
2: How dare you talk about something like dreams that is so clean cut and obviously (laughs) empirically logical and not have a consistent formula to apply and mix your metaphors, honestly. (laughs) Absolutely shocking. Um, So I have thought of two recurring cycles of dreams that I've had, one from very, very young in life. So the first one is probably from when I was about four, and that cycle started then. And the next four is maybe, old. yeah, the next is maybe from when I was about nine or ten. Is a dream that I had when I was four years old a thing that you wish to talk about, or is that too far into the past?
1: Mm, no, I think that would actually be really interesting. I
0: think I um, can't believe that you remember that, Craig. Like, what? How? It just really stuck with you?
2: Yeah. I mean, because it was recurring as well.
0: Yeah. yeah. And
2: I mean, it pretty much is one of my earliest memories.
0: Whoa. I think that's pretty cool. I mean, we can do multiple anyway. I like the idea of starting
1: super young. So then tell us about this dream that you started having when you were four years old.
2: so i imagine the reason i know it's from four is because we moved shortly before i turned five to another town and i remember it from waking up and being in that bedroom and i can see that room that i've subsequently seen in photographs because i stick it there but i think it probably started having it earlier than that and it was just the sheer repetition of the dream that then continued in a similar vein probably until i was 10 or 11. and it's really pretty simple i'm always in the room that doesn't appear to have any obvious exits or windows to it uh it's just sort of um padded but not in the padded cell sense or at least that wasn't how it felt at the time, more just in a sort of comfort. And it, it's usually in pastels or pinks and bright but unaggressive colours. And it feels kind of like the furniture has all been consumed into the apparatus of the room in the building, that there are things that might be chairs or beds or tables, but it's just sort of a continuation of this wall all around it, floors and ceilings, all of which is covered in the same kind of um, wallpaper of patterns and bright colours. And in the room with me, to start off with, I think, was just one woman, but then increasingly it would be two women. And they are very giggly and smiley and want to chat and play. And we pretty much sort of just tumble around gleefully and play and wrestle and exist in this place and often for what feels like many hours of silliness and i think there's chat, but it's mostly cooing and sort of um whispered nothingness than anything else and then at some point i will wake up and feel extremely good about the world
1: Well, that is some very pleasant imagery. How did you feel about these women?
2: I think at the time it was more, oh, these are my friends. We are happy together. Even though I can't think of any other analogous relationship or situation to that in my life at that point.
1: So it felt more like a playful friendship, not necessarily like they were parental or motherly figures.
2: When I say women, they would probably vary in age. They would always be older than me, but that might only have meant they were like somewhere between, let's say, 8 and 30. I mean, I don't have much concept of age. I'm just sort of going purely on how big they felt relative to me in the dream.
1: And they didn't necessarily always feel like adults per se. It was just kind of like an older female person. Yeah. And then the language isn't anything specific. It's mostly cooing and kind of fun, playful, whispered nothings that sound very comforting.
2: Yes. I think that over the years, probably before it became sort of aware that this was maybe and had always been a deeply sensual, if not necessarily deeply sexual sensation and encounter, but it was way before I was aware of anything like that. I mean, I'm English, so probably another 20 years before any of that sort of thing had even occurred to me.
1: <laughs> so um, the vibe that I'm getting from this is very much like the description of a womb. Mm. The padded room with no doors and no exit. Mm. And it's very comforting. And it's just this soft space that you can play inside of. The fact that you started having this dream when you were four years old and that you had it until you were around 11. So until during your prepubescent years, the imagery is very innocent. As you said, it's this pre-sexual place of energy. It's very much this is a safe, soft, comforting place. And the fact that it's these women of different ages is also interesting in that It's not your mother, and it's not any one person, really. It's this general female energy. This brings up two tools that we can use to examine this imagery. One is the notion of masculine and feminine energy. And masculine energy can kind of broadly be described as the energy that we project out into the world, that phallic energy, the projection. It's that aggressive energy. And the feminine energy is the more receptive inward looking energy so that's one angle that we could start Mm. looking at this from this inward introspective energy you're engaging with that is kind of in some ways wise beyond its years because you're looking at these people that are older than you which brings us to the next lens that we can look at this is the concept that everyone else in your dreams are you yourself whoa and when you encounter somebody else in the dream, it's not necessarily that person. It might on one surface level be that person, but on, a, on another level, it is also you encountering yourself, you encountering a projection of that person in yourself, or you encountering yourself mm-hmm. as a projection of that person, some aspect of that person that you see in yourself. But in this case, these are not any one specific person. It is just the general feminine energy, that general introspective energy So even when you were four years old, from when you were four through 10 or 11 years old, there was some part of you that was very comforted by going inward and kind of going back toward that space, back toward that energy of the womb where there was no one else there and you felt very comforted and cared for that space, that feeling of being alone but also being surrounded by love or being surrounded by support and care because you are surrounded by your mother, really. You've never seen your mother, but you were inside mm-hmm. of your mother. And in these dreams, you're in this room that is very comforting and it doesn't have an exit, but you're, you're not alone. You're engaging even though that energy is going inward. So I don't know if you were a particularly introspective kid or if you liked to play alone a lot as a kid. Wow. If these are things that might kind of resonate in, in the sense of being an introverted child that enjoyed playing by themselves a lot.
2: Yes, I'm guess that the pretty much everything you've said resonates <laughs> extremely powerfully. And wow, fly me. The introversion, definitely. Playing alone, definitely. Although that, I think, would also I could continue like further into my teens, even despite having studied psychology and applied it to art, and even sort of studied the surrealist in grad school and l- looking for signs in that way, I had never connected until you said it, the womb, and it does feel, yeah, I can definitely see that, and. The, the issue of everybody being a version of oneself in your dreams and how that plays out. I do think that it, the more that I've reflected on it, the more that I felt at that point that I would rather have been regarded as a girl or female has always been a thing that has um, yeah, resonated subsequently. So that also plays into it too.
1: Mm. And also, I imagine just even that notion of all of the females in your dream being these older females, I think there is that, that notion of being wise beyond one's years. I don't know if you were that smart kid that liked to read a lot, and maybe you were more mature than, than the other boys that were your age. And in the broader sense, the stereotype in many cultures is that women are more mature than young. Like young girls are more mature as a whole than young boys.
2: Yeah. Yeah, so. I, I would say I, I probably peaked at um, 15, so yes. But, um, I was definitely like child prodigy and like in an ability set by myself from about the age of six or seven. So that which fed into, yes, a lot of those other aspects, introspection, not necessarily fitting in because of, not feeling like I had a connection to or could understand the other people.
0: Mm. Mm. Um, yeah, Craig, I'm interested, you said something about not really can, feeling like you were a boy or like connecting to that and like feeling a little bit like, like would you? can you talk a little bit more about that? Like what is the connection?
2: Yeah, um, I think gen- gender roles were, in 1970s and 80s britain pretty solidified and everywhere as part of it but i think from growing up somewhat sheltered and then moving to a new place just as i started school when i was five i had a sense from that of immediately not fitting in we were also um my family was probably was more middle class than like the rest of it. was was a working class school, and I didn't understand what that was, but it sort of exacerbated the difference that I'd grown up for five years. Sort of, I was not, I was a bratty and annoying kid in many ways, but being uh, giving us sort kind of different presumptive airs and graces of middle class life compared to working class life, which was much more rough and tumble for boys in what was expected sort of, of them. I remember being presented with football about the third week of school and having no idea what this weird alien object that everybody else seemed to instinctively know how to kick and do things with was because my dad had never thought it necessary to introduce me to that pursuit. So I, I think that... Because the people that visually looked like me didn't seem to register in accordance with who I thought I was, Uh, I could see more probably role models and sensibilities in being more femme in some way or other. But I also wanted to be well behaved and not challenge authority or boundaries in any way so that was never really anything that I acted upon other than probably putting on my sister's Wonder Woman uh, wrist cuffs and uh, headband
0: (laughs) yeah yeah because it's so interesting because you you said that you always wake up and you felt really good so it's interesting that after having that interaction and feeling like really free and comfortable to interact with those women, like the feeling was always, you know, really positive and sounds like, you know, you woke up feeling almost kind of more like yourself in those interactions. Yeah. So I, I, it's kind I, of entertaining I, that feminine side in a
2: lot of ways. I had not process that, but yes. I mean, I can also say if this was some a dream that I could add into my rotation again now, I would be incredibly happy to do so.
1: in many ways it sounds like this dream is an affirmation of the self in the dream you're in this safe space this comfortable place and it's very much indoors it's very much inward and it's that inward energy and this is your this is your happy place (laughs) it's this happy place where you're deep inside and you're able to be playful you're able to engage with that inward energy And it's very self-affirming. And it's, in many ways, it's very self-aware. And it's you seeing the the comfort of the inward world and embracing it and just enjoying it.
2: Yes. Yeah, and I think, I don't want to point a picture of England as being completely grey and grim, but it it did feel like this was a sort of extra splash of, Color and vibrancy, which otherwise existed on like kids' TV for what an hour every day.
0: Yeah, but to create it for yourself—that's
2: interesting. I guess that I've not thought of that part. That this one really does feel like I must have been creating it for myself. But despite having tried uh, sort of to access control via lucid dreaming. I don't think I ever really have, with the um, exception of uh, a trait that evidences itself in other dreams. We can get to.
1: Mm. Mm. So is that a good segue into the next set of dreams? That
2: then? that could be.
1: Ooh. All right. So what what's the next set? Now that we've set the scene with your younger.
0: We're basically getting um, a childhood history now. Yeah.
2: I think, I think the um, the other thing I felt marked out in my childhood was being scared of everything. And the one location that reappeared in a lot of dreams of kind of the next set was the swimming pool at Winchester College, because it was one of the few buildings that I remember going around the back of, and then you get to see sort of like the... The unfinished world, but I had a lot of dreams around that where I was either out the back of the swimming pool or in the swimming pool itself when some attack of some kind happened. Often featuring uh, pop culture celebrities, the Daleks from Doctor Who are the main ones. And then that would often mean that another positive heroic force would need to come in as well because it wasn't something i was necessarily going to resolve by myself so i remember at least two or three times having the a-team come into the swimming pool and fight the daleks (laughs) and be quite a lot more effective at shooting them than they ever actually were on the tv show but the other thing that I started at that point was the recognition that I would kind of tell myself because I was so just terrified in the dream, oh wait, this can't be happening. And I don't think it was, be- I-, I believe the Daleks existed, but I'm like, the live in America. They wouldn't be over here doing this. Uh, so I'd find some point where my logical brain could interfere And that would be the thing that woke me up and ended it. So there was no resolution within the dream world. It was more me short surfacing it and then waking up in a combination of relief and confusion.
1: So you said this is the swimming pool of
2: Winchester College. It was a place where my my dad worked from when I was five years old till he must have worked at least twenty something years. Because he worked there, we were allowed to go sometimes. It was also where I learned to swim, who I'd not actually connected that thing beforehand, um, and would have always like go for classes and recreation. And it may not be significant, but it was always startlingly cold. Just to make the, <laughs> make the experience of an indoor swimming pool as much like an outdoor one as possible.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hate cold water.
1: It wasn't fun. One lens that I often look at water is just raw emotion. It represents the, the subconscious. It represents what's bubbling underneath. What feelings did you associate with this pool in the dream? When you're around the pool, did the dream feel like it was this place for relaxing? Or was it where you were put to work, where you had to do laps? How did you feel about this I pool?
2: think, yeah, so I, it may well be that I'd still swum more there than any other place in my life. I learned to swim there. you got badges for like how many meters you could swim. I did all the survival challenges there where you have to tread water and hold a brick above your head. Well, you need to be prepared for any situation. So (laughs) this this pool is, yes, it's challenges. As I said, it was always cold. There were diving boards. The high diving board always terrified me. I successfully jumped in and dived in, but I've also caused great consternation from the other use of the pool. On on multiple occasions, I was too scared and ended up belly flopping in off the high board instead and that sort of like shattering crack that fills the whole building. But I think it also, it felt, it was quite a cavernous place. And one wall of it was all windows that opened up onto a lawn. So there there was still a sort of tranquility in landscaping about it, but it may be one of the larger spaces I remember being in a lot and where, yeah, like significant rites of swimming passage happened, but it was often a challenge.
1: So then this place is associated with challenge, rites of passage. It's very spacious. But how do you feel about it? Does does the space stress you out? Do you feel anxiety when you're in this space? Do you feel excitement? Do you feel longing?
2: I think it was, it was anxiety in, I mean, I th- I'd say sort of a general all-encompassing emotion for most of my life is the warm British embrace of anxiety and going there to have <laughs> to learn to swim and be forced to go and do that in a regimented, organized manner where people would be shouting at you for anything you did incorrectly.
0: <laughs>
2: I, I very clearly remember the first time I got promoted from swimming back and forth in this, like, the baby section of the pool where I was sure because the teacher was beckoning me so furiously I'd done something wrong, so I just kept swimming back and forth when apparently it was because I did that which I probably did because of fear that made her notice that I was actually adept enough to progress to the next one. And so it was just, I, I went to the side, expect to be shouted at, and to be said, well done, you can move over there now. <gasps> Magic.
0: <laughs> I also love that, you know, you described it as learning to swim in this, you know, very regimented British way And, you know, Brandon saying that the pool also represents this emotion. emotion. So it's kind of interesting if you think of it as an analogy of learning to express emotion in a very regimented British way.
1: (laughs) Yeah, this is where this is the place you were trained. This is the place where you were taught to prepare for life. And it's, you know, Mm. in some ways, it's a very rigid place and it's very cavernous and there is some tranquility, but there's this air of anxiety about it. And it is a very regimented space and there's organization and you get yelled at if you do anything wrong. It might
2: also be when you said that occurs to me, the only place where I felt that the people teaching actually helped out in a way that I understood and benefited from and then succeeded Mm -hmm. because I don't, in most other aspects I'm going to say that even if there were excellent teachers, they were not teaching in a way that reached me or they were excellent teachers. And I just could not grasp what they were talking about.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: So it is maybe more of an important locus than I've considered.
1: And the fact that this body of water, it's a very regulated and maintained space. If you do things right, then you go swish into the water. If you fuck things up, then you belly flop and it hurts. But this is the space. It is finite and it is flat and it is known. It's a known quantity. It's a a known, very familiar place that can be challenging and it can be dangerous, but you are in many ways safe there.
2: Yes. Yeah, there's always a lifeguard. There's always a balcony of people, slightly sinister, but also there to protect you if needed.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm curious how this pool relates to how you connect with your emotional life. Do you connect to your emotions in a very regimented way that you need your pool of emotions to be steady in order for you to understand it? Otherwise, if you were to be thrown into an ocean, the waves may be overwhelming.
2: Yeah, I feel that particularly at that point, everything was very regulated. And even though it was made to seem uh, benevolently so, it was more kind of like, this is the only way there is to do anything. So don't question, keep everything together. There were other places I went swimming, none as regularly, but all of those would have been wild. This one you knew exactly what to expect each time. And I think that there is a kind a certain degree of welcomeness about that, but also it is um quite cold and uncaring. Sounds like the British one. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly.
1: We get very much into understanding this space, which actually turns out to be a very powerful locus in your life, as we've discussed. But for some reason, the A Team comes in and starts fucking shit up.
0: <laughs> no, the A Team No, the A Team are the ones that are fighting the bad guys. Yeah.
1: yeah, that's what I'm saying. I guess when I say fucking shit up, I mean like in a good yeah, way. they start owning it. Oh, okay, yeah. So what's happening when the A Team comes in? Who does the A Team start attacking? <laughs>
2: One I remember most clearly were the Daleks. Doctor Who was a show that just always scared me anyway, and the Daleks are these aliens that the bottom part looks like it's going to be kind of a pyramid. They're about adult human height, but they move around on wheels. And then for the top of most of them, they just have a semi-sphere with a long gun turret pointing out and as they move about everywhere they shout exterminate exterminate we are the daleks exterminate um <laughs> in that sort of um, playful way that
0: sounds terrifying yeah
2: all right it was and um it's not like they were really going to be engaging in interplanetary diplomacy they were pretty clear that they they'd come here and it was game over
1: And then the A-team
2: comes in. How do you feel about that? Well, I don't know if you're aware, but if you have a problem and you can't solve it, then the A-team are guaranteed to turn up. And even though in the end of the second act, things will go pretty pear-shaped, they will fabricate weaponry, have whatever they have at hand, and ultimately win the day. So I was pretty confident that the A-team showing up would mean everything was going to work out. (laughs) They're they're heroes. Even even though with the pre-credit sequence, they're kind of anti-heroes, they've rebelled against an unjust system and they're now just uh, mercenaries. But, you know, they're good mercenaries.
1: It sounds like you have a pretty clear metaphor in your head here for how your life operates. (laughs) What's that? (laughs) In that you have this space that you operate in that's very regimented And this is kind of your familiar place, the pool, where it has its familiarity, it has its challenges. There's a certain level of the sinister mixed in there. You could drown in a pool, Mm -hmm. but it's a very safe place. But then when something goes haywire and the aliens come in and start shouting, exterminate, they avoid the Veruca pool and start chasing you. Even when things go to shit and big problems pop up or big emotions Mm -hmm. pop up, anything, essentially when anything goes wrong... There's a part of you telling yourself that your A team will show up. Everything's going to be okay, which is also a very common dream image. For some people, the A team showing up might be themselves defeating Godzilla. Mm-hmm. For you, it might be Mr. T coming in and making an AK 47 out of some paper clips. I don't know. Yeah. Or is that more MacGyver?
2: No, they would definitely be shooting yeah, paper clips out of elastic bands if they needed to. You're right. Yeah. They kill a fool. Yeah. Um, I, I definitely outsourced all of the heroism to them pretty gladly as well.
1: But as we already discussed. Oh, um, they were me though. <gasps> everyone in your dream is yourself. I'm Mr. T? You are Mr. T. There's a part of you, a part of Craig that's Mr. T. Yeah. Everyone in that dream was inside of your brain. Those were all projections of yourself.
2: Right. I'm just trying to forget about being several Daleks for a bit. Going well,
1: it. you might not be. That's the interesting thing about monsters. So aliens, monsters coming up in dreams. These are often expressions of raw emotion. We had a discussion with another guest who had Godzilla come up out of the ocean. And then he kicked Godzilla's ass.
2: <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay, now yeah. that that's impressive.
1: Yeah, you have to listen to that episode. That was yeah, a great that, episode. And
2: <laughs> I mean, and that's uh, a bit of a, that's that's quite the dream um, humble brag to go up there. Oh yeah, the upgrade show last night. I like that one.
1: Yeah. In parallel, in his real life, he was battling some very real big emotions. Mm. He was battling some depression. You know, these derelicts. You've talked about this place feeling a base level of anxiety, those times when anxiety comes in and starts invading your space and anxiety starts taking over. I don't know about you, but I know when I think about aliens, I feel anxious.
2: Yeah, I, I would like to think that if I was one of the first people to encounter aliens, I would be able to have the sort of like, welcome to our planet, let us have a uh, meaningful, happy discourse based on um, peace and goodwill, when I'd probably be running and or cowering uh, because I've been taught by media to be very scared.
1: It could be that you start from the position of, hey, welcome, peace and love, and then they start shouting, exterminate, exterminate, exterminate." exterminate, and then, yes, you may feel some fear, but then you bust out your A-team and you cap an alien, you cap a darling.
2: I mean, it has only just occurred to me that while it may seem like the Daleks are presented as the unequivocal bad aliens, that maybe in their language and with that intonation, exterminate means we come in peace and love all of you. And the thing we think of as a weapon is just their excitement and the way they show their joy to be in this new world by blowing stuff up. Admittedly, there's another one who can talk and is really like unsettling looking and it does seem that they're there just to
1: take over everybody and kill everything, but give them the benefit of the doubt. (laughs) (laughs) The moments in your life where this dream comes up, what was going on? I
2: think probably feeling um, stuck in that routine that they're there wasn't much else outside of the small town that I grew up in. And that, I think that's probably even why some of the sort of the media elements of fantastical creatures and heroes from other planets and other countries even comes into it because the boundaries of my existence felt pretty small. Mm. And so that was another way to maybe draw that in. Um, and things were just, yes, regimented.
0: So I know that the first dream we talked about was between like 4 and 10 or 11. Mm-hmm. How old were you when this, the pool dream was
2: happening? That one with Daleks and 18 team I'm guessing would be around 11 or so. I think that there's probably that sequence had started earlier, but I think it would have happened somewhere in like 11 to 14.
0: I love that we've gone from childhood innocence into like er- early adolescence. And like yeah. the the feelings that are coming up seem like very reminiscent of those periods like in life as well.
1: Let's see what, what else we can dig up in the next set and see if we can start tying any more things together and see if there's a, a common thread that we can pull on.
0: Yeah.
2: So the one of... Uh kind of lifelong cycle i've had which probably started around early teens and has continued when i'm in any dream where there's any kind of situation that is heading towards amorousness i will usually at some point in the dream think wait a minute I'm in a relationship with somebody else at the minute. And that will usually mean that I get to a point of awareness that I wake up and stop the encounter before most anything's happened at all. With the occasional extra bonus of if that doesn't happen and I kind of just go the next level, then my body just wakes me up by getting just overly aroused and excited, and then I'm like, before anything is happened. <laughs> <laughs> then you just
1: cat block yourself.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So it's, yeah, even my mind and my body is like, oh, this is really great. We're going to wake you up just beforehand. Yeah. It's like, this is incredible. Uh, this is just like a dream scenario. Maybe it maybe even in the dream think This is a dream scenario. And that's I'm like, hang on a second. That it, it almost becomes the expected part of the narrative it feels almost like I've got the, the expectation to use your parlance and stuff like um that there'll be just a cock block which could again like, be oh, this is too good to be yeah, like because that is the kind of english narrative of like you just get to the end everything's perfectly set up it's going to work out OG. and sometimes that will be intimate and in things are clearly becoming sexual and other times it will just be that it's sort of, um, we're just having a relationship. It might be somewhat um, humdrum, that we're even just doing chores in the dream, or um, going about the sort of regular everyday life things. But it's all, I'm aware that there's, um, there's a presumptive connection, or flirtation, or an extended courtship that's happening. The dream that I had just this week, that I had been watching the BBC Hulu hit, Normal People, and my wife was in the dream with me, trying to set me up with a woman who, start off with, was her friend, but then became the lead actress of Normal People. So (laughs) even though she was there to pretty much say, yes, this is an okay thing, I still confuse myself enough that I woke up. It's almost like I'm like, this, yes, this is too good to be true. And then my brain, or the, I'm released from the dream when I realize that.
1: Hmm. It sounds like a form of self-sabotage.
2: Yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, wait a minute. This isn't quite right. Aren't I supposed to be in this other relationship, this other life that everything's shit and the mundane isn't actually okay, but the normal is more upsetting and everything's fucking crazy? I don't know if that resonates as a common thing that's happening in the moments in your life when you do have that. Maybe those are the times in your life where life is peaceful and it almost seems too good to be true.
2: The self saboteur part, I'm, I'm going to say that um, happily... For the past nearly 18 years, I've been in very positive relationships and at most points, things in that world have been
1: really good. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious if there's a connection between the two sets of dreams now. You talked about how when you become aware that you're dreaming, that's essentially what leads you to wake up. Yes. And this mechanism has saved you when you're in danger, but the same mechanism has also been a real cock blocker. Yes. (laughs) I don't know what that common aspect would be between the two different settings, because in one setting, it's a real danger, and then you employ this to save yourself. In another setting, it's maybe not a danger, and then this triggers and you self-sabotage.
0: But it's interesting too, because... It's not a danger in the same way of becoming injured, but in the dream it's perceived as potentially dangerous because mm. he's doing something wrong. In the dream he's like, hang on, am I actually allowed to do this or would I be cheating?
2: Yeah. I think I've always been desirous of clarity around any physical or romantic encounters and it's sort of the – consent check as well of almost my brain is like are there any other absent parties that we should consider at the moment
1: this is a skill in which in one setting it can be very useful to be able to consider what other parties do i have to think about that aren't currently here but in another setting it ends up shooting yourself in the foot or in my own parlance, cock blocking yourself (laughs) yes perhaps that shows up in other aspects of your life where you start thinking about other people to the extent that you sacrifice yourself.
0: Well, the, to the detriment of your own mm. pleasure.
1: To the detriment of your own pleasure, yes. <laughs> mm. We'll put Eleni. We'll put yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: No, that, that is, um, yeah, that's almost sort of a, a level of being obnoxiously English to achieve that. Um, the, the goal that we we're all shepherded towards without really being told in school and i look forward to getting a letter from the queen um when i retire congratulating me on yeah unlocking that uh, special english order of merit
0: <laughs> <laughs> of depriving yourself Depri- of pleasure yeah.
2: You have, you have successfully deprived yourself of pleasure, so that others may experience, well, not quite pleasure, but not quite humdrummery either. Humdrummery, yes.
0: Everybody will experience mediocrity. Yeah. Uh, uh, uh,
2: but I can uh, uh, Again, it's sort of I feel the the reason it feels extra frustrating is precisely because uh, I, I guess I've not kept the dream journal, but on a rough accounting of the dreams and experiences that I remember, I would say that the boring dreams, the annoying dreams, the scary dreams, all of the negative ones outweigh the positive ones. And yet they possibly wouldn't if got to dwell in the positive ones that bit longer. And yet it's, uh, you're right, it's almost sort of like I'm sacrificing it in some way for the greater good of someone else, even if it's a potential presumptive absent party or an absent party who's already consented to say, yes, that doesn't matter. Go
1: ahead please
0: mm. yeah and it's interesting in the scenario that your wife is present in the dream and is even telling you in the dream
1: it's <laughs> okay and you
0: still are like but is it
1: but am i allow it yeah and as we already discussed all of these voices in your dream are yourself you're telling yourself that it's okay and there's mm-hmm. another part of yourself that's still saying but is it oh. <laughs>
2: If I could just say, excuse me, let me consult my notebook for things I am and am not allowed to do, and just hold up this holographic image next to you to see if you are this person before <laughs> I review you do <doing> any shape-shifting.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think we might have cracked this one. How do you feel about this interpretation? Do you feel, still feel like there's some things that you're like, but what about...
2: No, this is a good, pretty universal explainer. And I I, I am somewhat surprised. Uh, I did not wish to doubt anyone's abilities before this. I was more enjoying looking forward to chatting with you and having <laughs> a predetermined topic uh, is a thing that I like. But it does... <laughs> a little bit of structure yeah structure structure and focus (laughs) that way i feel i'm allowed to indulge and waffle for longer because it's maybe being uh, requested okay um so (laughs) this has felt like there's elements of a therapy session and all the most positive senses of that and i am curious with this knowledge now if this is actually going to be anything that I can maintain and take into those situations, or if it just means in the dreams that, yeah, I'll I'll have that awareness. And so that I'll be able to like stop myself pressing the eject button with a third hand that appears at that point to slap the first hand away.
1: Mm. Perhaps when you remember that you don't need to consider other people to the detriment of your own pleasure, perhaps you can grab that third hand and the first hand and pull them in for a nice big threesome. <laughs> <laughs>
2: that, that, it's your dream, right? That does sound pretty good. <laughs> no, and that's it. And my, the fact that my formative dream sequence is basically in as much as a four-year-old boy is able to think about it, yes, what eventually becomes uh, a long-lasting sequence of threesomes that because they are prepubescent and pre-awareness of sexuality, therefore just sort of extend forever. Uh, yeah, pretty good. I'm, I'm very, I'm glad that I managed to create that. And I sort of forgot about it for a long time, but it then re- I think I had another one as a teenager and it brought back all of the memories of them from when I was little.
1: We definitely covered a lot of ground here today we did <laughs> I
2: feel good and I'm also kind of excited that it is
1: close to bedtime so I can go and Ooh, see what absolutely.
2: happens yeah.
1: perfect
0: timing for the conversation yeah
1: let us know if you have one of these dreams and how it turns out the next time I will because I'm curious to see what happens to that third voice or that third hand <laughs> rooting for you
2: <laughs> thank you so am i and i will be, I will be sure to share wherever that is yeah.
1: <laughs> so keep us posted so thank you both very much
0: <laughs> thank you thank you for being a guest
1: thank you for joining us on let's talk about dreams this episode was co-produced by brandon hogstead and eleni matheo editing and sound design by danny perez For more information, visit letstalkaboutdreams.com. If you're interested in having your own dreams interpreted, I also do private sessions. You can send inquiries to podcastltad at gmail.com. That's the word podcast and the letters l-t-a-d at gmail.com.